We're reading from John, uh, chapter 8, and there's a few passages we're reading, 12 to 18, 31 to 32, and then 48 to 59, and I'll be reading from the NIV UK. So John, chapter 8, 12 to 18, 31 to 32, and then 48 to 59. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him. Here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, Even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came from, and I know where I am going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I am going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one, but if I do judge, my decisions are true, because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The Jews answered him, Aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? I am not possessed by a demon, said Jesus. But I honor my Father, you dishonor me. I am not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Very truly I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. At this they exclaimed, now we know that you are demon-possessed. Abraham died, so did the prophets. Yet you say that whoever obeys your word will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Jesus replied, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My Father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I'd be a liar like you. But I do know him and obey his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You are not yet fifty years old, they said to him, and you have seen Abraham. Very truly I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. At this, they picked up the stones to stone him. But Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. Amen. We've been working our way through John's Gospel uh, for a little while now. We've reached chapter 8. But I want to start by going back to the very first chapter as a way of introducing our theme today. John 1, verses 3 to 5. Everything was created through him. Nothing, not one thing, came into being without him. What came into existence was life, and the life was light to live by. The life light blazed out of the darkness, and the darkness couldn't put it out means that the darkness of the world will never be extinguished in the light of God's love and grace. The Bible says that uh, 
Jesus Christ is the creator of life, and his life brings light into the dark world. See, when we follow Jesus, the true light, we can avoid walking blindly and stumbling about in the darkness. A couple of weeks ago, uh, Elaine highlighted to us that uh, chapters 7 and 8 of John occur at a particular time in the, the Jewish calendar. It was the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Tents. This was the last of seven annual feasts that God had commanded Israel uh, to observe each year. It goes back into the Old Testament where we read that the Israelites had been in Egypt for 400 years. A little bit early. Don't, don't quite know if we can... Oh! <laughs> They've been for 400 years. Much of that time they were in slavery. Finally, when the time was right, God sent Moses to lead them out of slavery and into freedom. But for the next 40 years, they wandered about in the desert. At night, they had a pillar of fire, and at day, there was a pillar of cloud to protect them and to guide them. And during those 40 years, the Israelites lived in tents or tabernacles. Eventually, they came into the promised land. But in order for them to remember that time in the wilderness, God created this special festival called the Feast of Tabernacles. So for seven days in the month of October, the Israelites were required to move out of their house and to build a shelter, a tent or tabernacle, and they had to live in that to remind them of what their ancestors had gone through. By the time of Jesus, the Feast of Tabernacles had uh, become quite an elaborate affair. According to uh, the, the Mishnah, which is a kind of Jewish commentary on the law, it says, at the close of the first holy day, that is the first holy day of the Feast of the Tabernacles, the priests would descend from the court of the Israelites down into the court of the women. So it's two different parts of the temple. In that court, four huge candelabras were placed, each with four golden bowls at the top and four ladders to each one. It's thought that these candelabras were about 75 feet high. And each of them had four big bowls on the top that contained 10 gallons of oil. So at the end of each day during this feast, they were lit. And it's said that they burned so brightly that you could see the light shining from the temple across Jerusalem and into the countryside. That ritual was called the illumination of the temple. So it wasn't a sad and solemn occasion. It was the opposite. It was a time for celebration and rejoicing. There was music and dancing and praising God. And then on the last day of the festival, about three o'clock in the afternoon, the high priest would lead a procession through the streets of Jerusalem down to the pool of Siloam. And there they, they filled a golden pitcher with water. Now, the pool of Siloam is filled from a spring, and the water runs down into the pool. And so it was considered to be living water, because it was moving, it was active. So here's a picture. The high priest has come to get living water. There's a wee clue. John's quite good at this kind of stuff. There's a wee clue coming up about what comes next. Because in John chapter 7, the previous chapter, in verse 37 and 38, he says this, On the last and most important day of the festival, 
Jesus stood up and shouted, If you're thirsty, come to me and drink. Have faith in me, and you will have life-giving water flowing from deep inside you, just as the Scriptures say. Now, I don't know if it was at three o'clock. I don't know if it was at the time when they were getting their gold pitcher and getting ready to process, or was it when they came back ready to, to pour it out as sacrifice? I don't know. But what I do know is that they understood exactly what he was saying. They understood exactly what he was claiming in a way that we don't. And you know, sometimes people say to me, Jesus never claimed to be God. He absolutely did. He absolutely did. All the way through these chapters in John's God, he is saying, I am God. After they've been to collect the water, the, the high priest would take the golden pitcher of water along with a silver pitcher filled with wine. Guess what's coming next? They pour it out in sacrifice. The living water is sacrificed. The wine that represents blood is sacrificed. Is there a clue here? Well, I think there might just be. But even better than that, do you know what the high priest says as he's doing this? God in heaven, send your Messiah soon and in our day. We cry out for your Messiah now. The rabbis had long taught that the Messiah was to be referred to as the light. They would look at passages like Isaiah 42, verses 1 and then 6 and 7. It says, here is my servant. I've made him strong. He's my chosen one. I'm pleased with him. I have given him my spirit and he will bring justice to the nations. I chose you to bring justice. And I'm here at your side. I selected you and sent you to bring light and my promise of hope to the nations. You will give sight to the blind and you'll set prisoners free from dark dungeons. Jesus, the hope of the nations. Isaiah 60, verses 1 to 3. Arise and shine for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth and thick darkness is over the people. But the Lord rises upon you and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. The Messiah was to be the light who was come into the world. And can you just imagine the high priest standing there in front of all the people saying, God, send your Messiah now in our day. And Jesus steps forward and said, I am the light of the world. He's claiming to be the Messiah. He's claiming to be the promised one. He's claiming to be the one that God is going to send to set his people free. So what do we learn from Jesus' claim to be the light of the world? First of all, his credentials as light. Light's a symbol that's used throughout the Bible in connection with Jesus. Isaiah used it in his great prophecy that we read uh, during Advent. Isaiah 9-2, those who walked in the dark have seen a bright light and it shines upon everyone who lives in the land of darkest shadows. And then Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, used it when he prophesied of the coming Christ in Luke chapter 1, verses 78 and 79. 
It says God's love and kindness will shine upon us like the sun that rises in the sky. On us who live in the dark shadow of death, the light will shine to guide us into a life of peace. And then when the aged Simeon took the baby Jesus in his arms when he was to be dedicated at the temple, in Luke chapter 2, he says, looks at this baby and says, your mighty power is a light for all nations and it will bring honor to your people, Israel. John, in writing the gospel, declared in John chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, as we've said, everything was created through him. Nothing, not one thing came into being without him. What came into existence was life, and the life was light to live by. The life, light blazed out of the darkness, and the darkness couldn't put it out. John obviously has a wee theme going here, because when he writes his first letter, he speaks of this too. But in John chapter 3, just after we've had those verses at 16 and 17 when he speaks of Jesus. In 19 and 20, he says this. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world. But people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. So we have his credentials as the light, but then we also have his claim to be the light. We should notice that Jesus is not simply saying he was a light or that he was another light. He's not saying that he holds the light, that he has a light, or even that he is a way to the light. He is saying, I am the light. There's no ambiguity in that. He is the only one, the light of the world. And he's standing where they've just celebrated release from captivity and entry into the promised land. They've been reminded during those days that the people saw the glory of God in their midst. They knew that God's glory shone in the first temple. And I think the candelabras there represent that glory of God shining again in the temple. And with all of that in mind, I think actually Jesus here is saying, I am the Shekinah glory that those candles symbolize. He's drawing their attention back to the cloud and the pillar of fire in the wilderness. And he's saying, I was the one who was with you then. I was the one who protected you then. I was the one who guided you through the wilderness. I was the one who enveloped the tabernacle. I am the Shekinah glory of God. So when Moses went into the tabernacle and he came out and his face was shining so brightly he had to cover it. Why was that? Because he had spent time with me, the light of the world. The pillar of cloud and fire tell us so much about God's relationship with people. The pillar and cloud of fire symbolized God's presence. So in Exodus chapter 13, verse 21, we read this. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or night. 
Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. At no time during their wandering in the wilderness did the people of Israel forget the very presence of God was with them because they could see it. Jesus, as light of the world, assures us of the presence of God in our day. He is our constant companion throughout our lives. He promised his disciples that he would never leave them and never forsake them. And he is true to his word. So no matter how alone you may feel today, no matter how many people have let you down or abandoned you, Christ promises his presence with you when you seek him. He's never so near as when we need him the most, and he's only ever a prayer away. And as the light of the world, Jesus assures us of God's presence. And so the pillar of cloud and fire also symbolized God's guidance. In the second part of verse 12, Jesus said, He who follows me shall not walk in the darkness, but have the light of life. Again, if we think of the experience of Israel in the wilderness, we have to remember that they constantly kept their attention on the cloud. The pillar of cloud and fire represented God's guidance for the people. When the cloud moved, they moved. And when the cloud stopped, they stopped. And they stayed stopped until the cloud moved again. They waited for God to show them where to go and when to go. I don't know if you've ever been in the desert. We stopped at once in Death Valley in America. And it was, it was very warm. It was about 122 degrees um, Fahrenheit there, which is, I don't know, 49 or thereabouts. Um, quite warm. And they had described it as uh, being in a giant hairdryer. And I thought, well, that's silly. I mean, how can it not be like that? And when you open the car door and you step out, it's like being in a giant hairdryer. Because there's just this constant wind, and it's roasting. I mean, it's really hot. And there, there are some beautiful sand dunes that appear, you know, just over there. And there's a great big warning sign that says, don't walk to these sand dunes because they're much further than they appear. And it's hotter than you think. And people die. I would have started with that personally. You know, don't go there because people die when they do that, right? But 40 years, they've been in what might be a giant hairdryer. And the heat distorts everything. And, and, and during the day, it's, it's above 50 degrees. And during the night, it's below freezing. And they need the protection of God. As the light of the world, Jesus is our guide. We are expected to stop when he tells us and go when he tells us and where he tells us. And we know we don't always end up where we expect. But we really should trust him because he knows best. We should pray that he will lead us and guide us, that he will make it clear to us where we're meant to go and what we're meant to do. As individuals, we need to do that. But also as a community of his people, we need to do that. We've got a presbytery plan. And bless presbytery. We're all part of that. They don't always get it right. But God always gets it right. 
And so whatever happens, we as a community of his people should be praying that his will is done, that his purposes come to fruition, and that however it works out, we serve him and only him. So the pillar of cloud and fire also symbolized God's protection. As I said, here they are, they've been in this desert. Exodus 14, 19 to 20, the angel of God that had been leading the camp of Israel now shifted and got behind him. This is because the Egyptians were coming. The pillar of cloud had been in front, shifted to the rear. The cloud was now between the camp of Egypt and the camp of Israel, and the cloud enshrouded one camp in darkness and flooded the other with light. No, the two camps didn't come near each other all night. Jesus is saying, do you remember? Do you remember that in your story, in your history? Do you remember that? I was there. I was the protection that you needed. It was me. The light of the world, he's saying, the benefits and the comforts that came with the cloud in the wilderness come also from him. Jesus is the light of the world and he is our protection too. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, as we've sung. He controls the universe and all that is in it. So our problems are nothing for him. He can deal with it. There is nothing that can touch us in this life that doesn't first pass through the hands of Jesus. Is there somebody at work that bothers you and troubles you and is making your life difficult? Are you apprehensive about the results of a recent medical test? Is there an enemy who seems larger than life and you wonder what on earth you're going to do? And Jesus says, I am the light of the world and I am for you. And together we can handle it. Lastly, we have his characteristics as the light. Light enables us to see things that were there all along. But because of the darkness, we don't see them. Darkness conceals and the light reveals. C.S. Lewis, the theologian and author, said, I believe in Christ like I believe in the sun. Not only because I see it, but because by it, all things are seen. John chapter 3, verse 21, he says, but whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they've done has been done in the sight of God. There are only two groups of people who are unaware of the presence of light. People who are blind and people who close their eyes and refuse to see. It's a long chapter, so very quickly, a rundown on what happened. Because these people had rejected Jesus, the light of the world. In verse 13, the Pharisees challenged the statement, I am the light. And in the next four verses, Jesus defends the credibility of his testimony. And none of those who heard Jesus chose to argue with the validity of his claims. They often just wanted to quibble over technicalities. In verse 24, Jesus says, this is, this is why I said that you'll die with your sins unforgiven. If you don't have faith in me for who I am, you'll die and your sins will not be forgiven. In response, the Jews asked Jesus, but who are you? Why should we trust you? They're blind because they refuse to see the light. In verse 28, he restates the claim. 
when you have lifted up the Son of Man, you'll know who I am. Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection will be the one great and final sign proving that he is the Messiah, proving that he is the chosen one, proving that he is the light of the world. And verse 30 tells us, as he spoke these words, many believed in him. How is God speaking to you today? Have you ever trusted in him as the light of the world? As your savior? Have you experienced the forgiveness of your sin and the promise of life eternal through him? If not, then I would urge you today to put your faith and your trust and your hope in him. And he has promised that those who come to him in faith, he'll never turn away. But what about those of us who have already done that? We are called to live in the light. John was obviously thinking of this when he wrote in 1 John chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, if we claim that we experience a shared life with him, that is, if we claim to be Christians and continue to stumble around in the dark, we're obviously lying through our teeth. Not a phrase that I ever thought I would hear in the Bible, I have to say. We're obviously lying through our teeth. We're not living what we claim. But if we walk in the light, God himself being the light, we also experience a shared life with one another as the sacrificed blood of Jesus, God's Son, purges all our sins. And then in Matthew, words from Jesus, Matthew 5, 14 to 16, here's another way to put it. You are here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God's not a secret to be kept. We are going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a lampstand. Now that I've put you there, on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. He expands the image to those who follow God. As believers in Christ, we become the light of the world. Not that we have any ability on our own to bring light into the darkness. He simply means that by being his followers, we gain the ability to reflect him and his light to the world. And that's why the result is not that we get glory, but that he gets the glory for the good things that we do. Amen.